You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome Bayshore. Good to see everybody today. We're so glad you're joining us this weekend at Bayshore. And I'm just absolutely thrilled that you're a part of this weekend's experience at Bayshore. God is good. He's got some great things for you and me. And I'm very excited that you're joining us this weekend. I want to say hello to everybody that's watching on Facebook right now. we got a whole bunch of people watching us on Facebook and Seaford and Laurel and Georgetown and Salisbury and Del Mar and Ocean City and everywhere in our community. People are watching us on Facebook right now and also around the country in Texas and different states, uh, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for being with us uh, this weekend. And we just want to let you know we're so glad to have you with this, uh, this weekend's experience. I also want to say hello to WGMD 92.7 Radio that's now a part of our Bayshore family. Thank you guys so much for listening uh, this weekend. Hey, we're in a series called uh, Love Rules, and this is part two of this series, and we're looking at what love looks like. And the title, Love Rules, has got sort of a two-edged thing to it. Love rules. These are the rules of love, how love functions, but also it's sort of used in a verbal sense. You know, love should rule in our lives. So we're talking about love, and this series is based on the great chapter in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's, it's probably the best uh, piece of literature ever written on love by the Apostle Paul. And I don't know how he wrote this. I don't know if he was like in a moment of inspiration or how it happened, but by far, This is Paul's best moment when he's writing. There's a great theologian, uh, Adolf Van Harnock, that is a German theologian that wrote that this was the greatest and strongest and deepest thing Paul ever wrote. So we're going to read it again, and I hope during this series that you'll be reading 1 Corinthians 13 on a regular basis. It's all about love. And let me read it to you again. Let's just sit back and listen to it. Let it get into our hearts. Let it get into our minds. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verses 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways behind me. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, 
but the greatest of these is love. Isn't that great? What an incredible uh, chapter on love and what love is all about. I want to say this to you this morning. Let's talk about, first of all, without love, nothing else matters. Without love, nothing else matters. Now, that's our primary working point today. Without love, nothing else really matters. Now, that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote in the beginning. He said, you know, we can prophesy. We can have great knowledge. We can have great wisdom. We can speak in other languages. We can speak in the tongues of men and angels. But he said, if we don't love, then it means nothing. And so, therefore, the most important thing about our whole life, the most important thing about interacting with people, the most important thing that we can do on this planet is to be people that know how to love God and love other people. Very important principle. Think about this. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a uh, Shorebirds game. Delmarva has this great uh, minor league team called the Shorebirds, and I've had the privilege to be able to throw the opening pitch a couple times at a Shorebirds game. And uh, boy, I love to watch the Shorebirds play. But just imagine you go to Salisbury and you're going to a Shorebirds game. And it's one of those perfect uh, summer evenings. Uh, and you can, you can smell the hot dogs cooking. You can smell the, the burgers cooking in the stadium. You look out at the stadium, and the grass is green, and the, the infield has been lined perfectly with those perfect lines for the foul lines. And you can see the, the teams in the dugout. You can see the, uh, uh, you can see the Salisbury, Salisbury Shorebirds in their white uniforms. And they come out on the field, and you got the umpire... And you got the lights on, you got the green grass, you've got everything in place, and it's a perfect evening for a baseball game. But what happens is when the pitcher gets out to the mound, there is not a baseball. They don't have a baseball. And they look in the dugout, and there's no baseball. They look in the entire stadium, and there's no baseball. In fact, they look all through Salisbury. They go to Walmart, who literally has everything, and they can't find a baseball. So everything else, the gloves, the uniforms, the hot dogs, the stadiums, the lights, the green grass, the perfectly lined infield, none of that matters without a baseball. Well, love is the baseball of life. And if we don't have love, it doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter how many degrees we have. It doesn't matter how sophisticated we are. It doesn't matter how spiritual we are. We can, we can be in church and think we have the right views about life. And it doesn't matter if we don't have love. It doesn't matter if you're you know, uh, very involved in politics and you have your views all worked out and you know exactly what you think and what you believe and what you think our country should be doing. But if you and I have not love, it means nothing. That's what Paul said. Paul said, it doesn't matter. You know, you can have all of these things operating, and if you don't have love, it doesn't really matter. So that's the first thing we want to say. Without love, nothing else really matters. Maybe you can say it with me right now. Without love, nothing else really matters. That's the most important thing. Now, this is a great uh, chapter, you know, when Paul talks about in the beginning of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about speaking in tongues, he talks about prophesying, he talks about the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and if you read the whole uh, book of 1 Corinthians, they were really big on spiritual gifts, and Paul is not denigrating spiritual gifts, He's not saying that prophecy and speaking in tongues and, and having these uh, ecstatic spiritual experiences 
uh, are wrong. He's just saying they're incomplete. You can have all of these things but not have love. And we know about this, about the Corinthian church. They were great at, you know, the spiritual gifts. They were great at praying for people to get sick. They were great at just having knowledge. They were great at, in fact, they loved, one of their favorite things was to speak in uh, uh, these wonderful heavenly languages. They loved to do that. But Paul said, listen, none of that really matters if you don't love other people. And that's important for us to recognize. That's such an important thing. And so I love that when I think about this. Now think about, you know, here's a scale that represents sort of the paradigm that the, uh, the Corinthian church was living in. They, they, this is a scale, and it's actually, uh, you, know, you see a tipping scale, and the spiritual gifts in the mind of the Corinthians were of more importance. They were the most important thing. They were more important than love itself. And so the scales tipped this way because they were putting more value on the spiritual gifts than they were putting on love. And Paul said, you're absolutely wrong about that. You're absolutely wrong to great, give greater value to spiritual gifts than you do love. So that's an important thing for us to remember. That's very, very essential. It's possible for you to put greater value on something that God puts lesser value on. Now, you know, there, there is value in spiritual gifts. There, there's a number of places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are taught by the Apostle Paul, but, but they are not the most important thing. The most important thing, in fact, spiritual gifts are temporary. They're temporary. They're going to be here for a little while, and then there'll be a time when there won't be any spiritual gifts. Now, I don't know if you know this. There'll be, con- you know, I don't think there'll be any preaching in heaven. There'll be no prophesying or preaching in heaven. Basically, when we get to heaven, I'm out of a job because there's nothing to preach about. We, we will see Jesus in his fullness. Now, the spiritual gifts that we love so much now are temporary, but love is permanent. To live in eternity with God's amazing love toward us is so very important. So that's one of the things we want to talk about today. Now, well, Paul gives some description of what love is. What is love? What is love? Now, you know, I think it's kind of hard to describe love, isn't it? You know, if you were given on an exam and you were asked, give a definition, definition for love. You know, I think it's very hard to explain what love is. Love is like a diamond. It's like a diamond. It has many facets to it, many facets to it. And I think it's hard to express and put in words what love is. We know when we experience love, we know what it feels like, we know what it looks like when we see it, but it's hard to explain. Uh, Karen and I last uh, weekend, you know, we were down to uh, Rehoboth and we were riding down Route 1 and I got a craving for a uh, Chick-fil-A chocolate milkshake. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a Chick-fil-A uh, chocolate milkshake. They are amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, small chocolate um, milkshake, 500 calories, worth every calorie. Uh, but when you, you know, I began to drink that chocolate milkshake, and if you asked me to describe that chocolate milkshake, I would have a hard time describing what that chocolate milkshake was. I, I just, I don't know if I could put it in words. You know, it's well, it's, it's sweet, it's cold, it's rich, it's thick, it, it feels good when it goes down, and it would be hard to explain. But it's something that when you taste it, it's so wonderful. And when you experience love, when somebody loves you, and somebody expresses grace to you, it's, it's such a wonderful feeling, and you know that you're being loved. I remember years ago, 
Uh, I was at this big conference uh, in North Carolina, and I was sort of going through something, and there was a, an altar call where you could come forward for prayer, and there was like maybe uh, 500, 700 pastors there, and, and I went forward, and there was this one particular, and there was a whole bunch of leaders, Christian leaders, famous Christian leaders were in the front, and there was this one guy named Jamie Buckingham, and he was a famous writer in the 70s, and uh, he was just, everybody knew who Jimmy Buckingham was. He had a big church in Melbourne, Florida, and wrote all these books. And, and I was uh, coming up for the altar call to be prayed for, and uh, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't get in any particular line, but I ended up uh, coming right to Jamie Buckingham, this, this famous author, and he prayed for me. And after he got done praying for me, he put his arms around me and hugged me. And I'll never forget that. You know what? I can't tell you what he prayed. I can't tell you one word that he prayed. I, you know, I, can't re, I cannot remember or recall what he said when he prayed for me, but I remember that hug, and I remember feeling loved. I remember the love of God flowing through Jamie Buckingham to me, and I felt uh, I had had therapy after I left that front of that big building, and I went back to my seat. I felt that I had been healed and ministered to because love has and powerful healing virtues in us. So Paul, what he does is he describes love. He puts uh, love into 14 different, 14 different phrases. So it took Paul 14 phrases in the center of 1 Corinthians 13 to describe what love is. And here's what's interesting. It's perfectly balanced. There's seven positive uh, virtues of love, and there's seven negatives of what love is not. So in order for us to grasp love, Paul told us what it was, and then he told us what it wasn't. And it's in that contrast that we begin to understand what love is. And let's, we're going to do some of these today. We won't get through all of them, but uh, we're going to do some of them. And here's what the first thing Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He said, love is patient. Love is patient. Now, you know, that's a, that's a heavy word. I, know, I don't know about you, but patience is, is not my, in my skill set. I'm not really a very patient person. And the word patient in, uh, the, in the Greek language that uh, Paul is using here is the word that means to be slow in giving judgment, slow in your passion of wrath toward another person. So it's slow wrath. It's slow, uh, it's slow judgment. So basically what Paul is saying is, is that love does not rush to judgment. Love does not quickly condemn when we make a mistake. Love is slow. And the, the King James says it's long-suffering. It's long-suffering. We mess up and God is long-suffering toward us. He doesn't nail us. He doesn't, you know, step on us like a roach as soon as we mess up. But God is long-suffering. He's long-suffering. And He's a very gracious God, a very loving God. And He's a very caring God. Here's what the message says. The message translation says that love never gives up. Love never gives up. Do you know that God never gives up on you? God never gives up on you. Maybe your friends have given up on you. Maybe your parents have given up on you. Maybe, you know, uh, other people in your life have written you off and they've given up on you. But love is patient. Love is long-suffering. 
God is such a long-suffering God. In fact, the Bible says that when Jesus was teaching Peter and the disciples about being patient and forgiving for other people, here's what happened. Uh, Peter said to Jesus one day, Jesus, how many times should we forgive someone when they sin against us? Now, I think the Jewish people said like four times. You got four times and then that's it. And, and Peter wanted to be, you know, he wanted to like go to a higher level. So Peter said, uh, Lord, how many times would, should we forgive our, our brother when he sins against us? Seven times? So he actually added three more times onto what the Jews said. And Jesus looked at, he looked at uh, Peter and he said, not seven, not seven. And some translations, translations say 70 times seven, which equals 490 times. Some of them say 70 times. But basically what, what, Paul, what Jesus was saying to uh, Peter is, is what you think, you've got to go 10 times more than that. You've got to much more than that. And he's not saying that 70 times, that's it, or 490 times, that's, he's saying you want to be in a habit of perpetually forgiving other people because God perpetually forgives you. And let me ask you this question. How many of you listening to me on the radio right now, and how many of you listening online, how many of you in Fenwick Island right now, and wherever you are listening, how many of you have asked the Lord to forgive you for something more than once, more than twice? The same thing, more than three times, more than four times. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, you know the very thing I don't want to do, that's the thing I do, and the thing I hate, that's what I keep doing. And God's grace is long-suffering. God's grace is long-suffering. And so if God's grace is patient toward you and I, when we react with other people, we interact with other people, we want to make sure that we are patient with them. We're long-suffering. We're not quick to write them off. We're not quick to say, hey, that's it. We're not quick to judge them. But we're people that are long-suffering and we are patient. And the reason we're that way is because God is that way to us. You know, one of my favorite uh, stories in the, in the Gospels in, is in John chapter 8. Now, there are some ancient manuscripts that don't have this story. Some of the later manuscripts do. So we don't know how it got into the New Testament in the later manuscripts. But it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees caught this woman in adultery. Now, to me, it's an interesting story because I don't know exactly how you catch somebody in adultery. I don't know if they were shimmied up trees with binoculars or what. How did they catch this woman in adultery? And they dragged this woman to Jesus and stood her in front of him because they caught her in the very act of, of adultery. Now, there's a whole lot of problems with this story. There's a whole lot of problems. One of the problems is where is the man? Where is the man? Because it's hard to commit adultery all by yourself. And they just brought the woman. The man was guilty too, and they didn't bring him. So there was that kind of gender bias in that culture. And, and it's, they said, you know, the law said that this woman should be stoned because she was committing adultery. What do you say? And they were trying to trap Jesus. And I love the story. It says that Jesus knelt down and began to write in the sand, which is an interesting little caveat because that's the only time we ever see Jesus writing. We don't have any books that he himself wrote. We don't have anything that Jesus wrote, no articles, no, no books. But this is the only time we see him writing, and he's writing in the sand, and we don't know what he's writing. But I think he's waiting for his heavenly Father to give him instructions about what to say. And he stands up and he said, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. 
and all of them left from the oldest, I guess they had more sins than the youngest, from the oldest to the youngest they left, and Jesus says, where are your accusers? And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now listen, I want you to hear this this morning. The Lord is saying to you, whenever you're listening to this, neither does he condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And so this, this is a wonderful picture of God's patience. God is patient with us. God is patient with us. He's long-suffering. It's not like, you mess up, you mess up, you blow it, and I'm telling you, the wrath of God is coming down on you. I'm going to get you as soon as you mess up. That is not what patience means. God is patient, so we're supposed to be patient with other people. Now, here's what happens to us. When we see people at their worst, when somebody really messes up and they really blow it, and we see them, we put them in a category. Maybe they lost their temper, or maybe they, they stumbled in some sin, and we catch that, and we see that. We take a snapshot of that, and that is in our mind. We put that in our mind, and that's how we see that person, and we look at them in judgment and condemnation. And that is, that is not how God looks at us, but we can do that. And so here's the thing about that. When you have your worst moment, your worst moment, when you're at your worst, and how many listen to me, you've had your worst moment. You've lost your temper, or maybe you've lusted, or maybe you've said something you shouldn't have said, or, or maybe you've caused some kind of mess because you were tired or fatigued, and you just sinned. You just messed up. How many know that your worst moment is not all there is to you? Your worst moment is not all there is to you. There's more to you than that moment. And when you see somebody in their worst moment, there's more to that person than that worst moment. That is their worst moment, but that is, there's a whole lot more to them than that worst moment. Here's what I want you to hear. Listen to this. Don't miss this. This is so important. Jesus died not for our best moment. Jesus died for our worst moment. Jesus didn't die for our best moment. Jesus died for our worst moment. Jesus died for you when you were at your worst, not when you were at your best and so we should be patient with each other. And, you know, here's the thing about, uh, about this whole thing about, uh, you know, when you look at somebody and you make a snapshot of their worst moment and you look at them through that filter and you're not patient with them, you see them as some type of a deficient person. When you look at them that way and you categorize them that way, then you're not looking at them with the, with the divine eyes that God looks at them with. So it's very important. And here's something to remember that, listen, when God looks at us, he doesn't see what we are. He sees what we're going to be. God doesn't look at what we are. He looks at what we're going to be. And you remember when uh, Peter, you know, he sinned and denied the Lord in the Gospels. He denied and, and Jesus said, you know, you're going to deny me three times. And, uh, and here's what Jesus said. When you return... When you return, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail, but he didn't look at his failure. He looked at his return. He looked at his recovery. He looked at his restoration. He looked at him when he came back. In fact, when God called Peter, when Jesus called Peter, he said, your name is Simon. It no longer will be Simon. I'm going to call you Cephas. Now, Cephas is one of Peter's names, and Cephas is the Aramaic name that Jesus gave to Peter. And Jesus probably spoke... Aramaic and probably Greek as well. 
but he spoke Aramaic, was probably his primary language, and he called Jesus, or he called, Jesus called Peter Cephas. And what does Cephas mean? Cephas means rock or stone. Now, Jesus looks at Peter, he looks at Cephas, uh, this, this Simon is, is, is his original name, and, and every, anything that Simon is in the Gospels, he's inconsistent, he's up and down, he's, he's in and out, he's smart, and he's dumb, he's all over the map, but when Jesus calls him, he sees his future, and Jesus calls him Cephas, calls him a stone, calls him Peter, calls him the stone. So listen, when you look at another person, remember this, that God has them under construction, and you see their worst moment, you are patient with them, you're gracious toward them, because God sees their future, God sees their restoration, not their failure. Everybody you see, everybody we relate to in this world has scaffolding around them. Here's a picture of a building that has scaffolding around it. Now, I've never seen pretty scaffolding. Have you? I don't know anybody's ever built a house and say, hey, just leave the scaffolding up. I love the scaffolding. Scaffolding is ugly. And we see the, the ugly parts of each other, and it's the scaffolding. God is working in our life, and he's doing incredible things. So the message says, you know, love never gives up. So when we see people and we relate, relate, relate to people, we, we don't give up. We, we are patient with them. We're long-suffering. We, we extend grace to them because God has extended grace to us. We forgive them, and we release them. Now, if somebody's abusing us or they're doing horrible things, obviously you've got to you know, get away from a person that's physically abusing you or there's something terrible going on. But this is generally speaking about how we relate to people. How we relate to people is we extend long-suffering and grace to other people because God has done that for us. Let me just ask you this right now before we move on to the next point. Let me tell you this. Let me, let me just ask you this question. Just take it in your heart. How many are listening to me right now and you are so grateful God is long-suffering toward you? He's forgiven you over and over again. He's cleansed you of your sin. He's washed you of your, your inconsistencies and he's been long-suffering you and patient with you. So therefore, love is patient with other people. Now, the other thing uh, that it says love is, uh, love is kind. Love is kind. This is a great little thing here. Love is kind. Now, the word kind there, uh, this is the second thing. And by the way, uh, if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, all of these things that Paul is describing, these 14 different phrases, all of these things are really found in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It says the first thing, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it says in that little list of, I think it's nine things there, that, that, that love, is, love is kind. Love is kind. So we're going to talk a little bit about kindness. Now, here's what kindness is. Kindness is, uh, kindness, it means in the Greek, it means to be, be, be benevolent or be uh, useful. It really is a very practical word. It means to be useful and helpful to people. And so when you think about, you know, what kindness is, when you're a loving person and you have the Holy Spirit's filled you with the love of God, you are uh, mobilized to help other people and to be useful to them and to strengthen them and encourage them. Uh, one of my, uh, my neighbors, uh, Jeff Foskey, a wonderful man that lives a few houses down from me, uh, he made this walking stick for me. Uh, you know, he knew I walked. 
And, uh, you know, he saw me walking down the road, and I had this kind of really bad walking stick. And he found this beautiful, it looks like uh, uh, ash wood. I'm not sure what type of wood it is. It's it got no bark on it. It's real smooth. And he found this, this stick for me, and he smoothed the top off, and it's, my, it's got a little bend in it. And it's my walking stick that I use. And, uh, and kindness is practical. It's when you do something to help somebody in their life. And it's like a walking stick. The other day, uh, Karen was at, the, uh, was at the grocery store, and when she was at the grocery store, she called me, and she said, uh, is there anything that you need at the grocery store? Now, my wife, Karen, is so thoughtful about that. Now, kindness, fruit of the Spirit, uh, love is kind, it's useful, it's helpful to other people. Karen says, is there anything that you need at the grocery store? And I said, absolutely, I need some Coke Zero, the best Soda they make is Coke Zero, and so I always drink Coke Zero, and so she got me some Coke Zero when she brought that home. But kindness is being conscious of another person's need, and it's being conscious of something that they, that they need, and you step in and you do something to help them, to encourage them. There was a lady uh, at the uh, Target store one day, at the uh, department store, and she was there and she was, uh, she thought to herself, you know, I need to read more. And so she thought, you know, I need to, uh, you know, so she saw a book and she had kind of made a New Year's uh, goal that she's going to read more. And so she saw this book that was interesting. So she grabbed the book, put it in the cart, and she bought it, and she brought it home. And she's sitting and she's reading the book and starting to read, and the dog barks and does something. She throws the book down. And when she throws the book down, there's a $5 bill that flies out. Of the, of, the, of the book, and she was surprised that a $5 bill was in there, and she opened the book, and in the back of the book was this note written from this woman by the name of Lisa, and the woman that bought the book, her name was Ashley uh, Noss, and here's the woman, what she said, what the note said in the back of the book. This is from Lisa, and here's what it says. To the person who buys this book, I'm having a tough day. I thought maybe I could brighten someone else's with this little surprise. Go buy a coffee, a donut, or a face mask. Practice some self-care today. Remember that you are loved, you are amazing, and you are strong. Signed, Lisa. And uh, Ashley read that, and it just touched her heart. She couldn't believe it. And so she tweeted it on Twitter, and then other of her friends you know, shared it, and they retweeted it, and then the, the local radio station got a hold of it, and they put it on the radio, and then this particular tweet just went, went viral. And so all over America, people began to think about this wonderful model. And so Lisa's dad, for instance, uh, or not Lisa's dad, but Ashley's dad, you know, he was in the grocery line one day, and he saw somebody in front of him that looked like they were having a hard time financially, and he bought their groceries for them. And then another woman that had recently lost her, her son in a, in a car accident had decided that every week she was going to do a, an act of kindness in the name of her son. And then, Lee, uh, then uh, Ashley, the girl that, that bought the book, that read this note, she decided that from now on, every week, she would do something kind to help another person. Listen, uh, love is kind. Love is practical. What would the world be like? What would America be like? What would, uh, the, what would Maryland and Delaware and the Eastern Shore be like? What would our community be like if we let love fill us with kindness that we would do nice things for other people? I remember when I was in, uh, 
uh, Bible college, I took, a, uh, I took a, an elective class on piano tuning. And uh, I needed some electives. And there was a, a four-semester class on how to tune pianos. And it was back before computers and electronics were really in vogue. And so uh, I took this uh, four semesters, and I had to practice tuning pianos on a regular basis. And there was this Baptist church, Brownsville Baptist Church down the road from where I lived. And they had this big uh, uh, community center building on the second floor. They had all these old pianos. And I went up there, and I practiced tuning those pianos. They let me go in there and tune those pianos. And I remember one day coming down from practicing tuning pianos. I was walking down, coming down the stairway, walking out to the street, there was my big green uh, Thunderbird car that I drove, and it had a flat tire. And I, was, uh, I looked at that flat tire, and I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, what a mess. And so I, I opened the trunk, and I had, I had never changed a flat tire on that particular car before, and it looked like a big, big thing. And then about that time, there was a little white car that came down the side street by Brownsville Baptist Church, and it was my friend Marty Glennon who was uh, one of the students at the Bible College, and he and I were friends. Sometimes we rode to classes together. He lived near me, and so we had this great friendship. He was such a great guy. And, and Marty had fought in Vietnam, and Marty, after he got back from Vietnam, he became an alcoholic, and his life was a mess, and he found Jesus, and so he came to Bible College. And so he comes up, and he says to me, he rolls down the window in that little white car, and he said, he said uh, Danny, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got done tuning these pianos, and I've got a I've got to uh, change this tire. And he said, well, I'm going to help you. I said, well, where are you headed? He said, I'm on my way to take an exam I need to make up at Liberty Bible College where we were going to Bible College. And I said, hey, Marty, I said, you need to make sure you take your test. Don't worry about me. I can get this. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, I care more about you. I care more about you than I do in taking my test. And I'll never forget that. I care more about you then I care about taking the test I need to take. Now, maybe Marty wasn't ready for that test. Maybe he was buying time. I don't know. But that wonderful thing he said is I care more about you than I care about that test. You know, kindness is laying your life down to help other people. And, and you know, remember, uh, remember that wonderful uh, uh, country song by Glenn Campbell? You got to try a little kindness. You got to show a little kindness. You know, part of what the Holy Spirit does when he fills us with the love of God, the grace of God, the strength of God, he gives us compassion to forgive other people. He gives us compassion to give people uh, strength and, and endeavor and, and to extend grace for them. And he gives us the capacity to do useful things, to be useful things to love other people. You know what love is? Love is maybe not just sending your wife flowers. Wife, loving your wife is not just you know, getting our box of chocolates. Life is empty and love is empty in the dishwasher. You know, maybe, maybe love is, 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 is something very, very practical. And everybody's love language is different, but everybody needs love in the form of kindness to do good things for other people. That's such an important thing for us to remember. And when you think about this, this love that we're being talking about, this incredible love that's in 1 Corinthians 13, one of the things that we know about this incredible passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is this type of love. Love is, is patient. It's long-suffering. Love is kind. That type of love is, is supernatural love. And Jesus said, not only are we to love our neighbors, but we're to love our enemies. You know, here's the, big, here's the big caveat with love. 
You know, we can love people of our own political persuasion. We can love people that think like we think. We can love people that love us. Jesus said anybody can do that. But Jesus said real love is love that loves its enemies. Real love is love that loves its enemies. And God causes the rain to go to fall on the farmer that loves Jesus, the farmer that's a Christian. He causes the sun to to shine on the crops of the Christian farmer. And he calls it to rain on the Christian farmer, but also on the atheist, on the person that despises God. He lets the sun and the rain fall on his farm as well. That's the kind of God that we love. God loves even his enemies. Supernatural. We're called to supernatural love. And that's what our country needs. Our country needs not just loving people like ourselves, not just like thinking people that are like us are wonderful, and not just you know, being that type of benevolent person toward people that love you, but God's calling us to greater love. When I was growing up, I used to give out tracts to witness to people. Now, that's a Something I did a long time ago, and uh, you know, little tracks are little gospel messages that you give them out. And there was this one particular brand of tracks that I used to give out in high school uh, called Chick Tracks, and they were basically little comic books. And I'd give these little comic books out that had a gospel message, and I would share it with my friends and and tell people about Jesus. And sometimes they loved it, and sometimes they threw it at me. And uh, but it was my way of telling people about Jesus, and I was just zealous for the Lord. But there was one little track, this little Chick Track called Holy Joe. Holy Joe, it was a little chick track. Uh, chick is the brand of the track. And it was called Holy Joe, and it's about this Christian guy that was in the Marines. And uh, he was being persecuted, and he, everybody was against him, and they were giving him a hard time. And it shows there's one little scene in the, in the track of Holy Joe kneeling at his bunk in his room there where he is. And he's kneeling at his bunk, and he's praying, and all the soldiers take their boots, and they throw them at Holy Joe. And they just and you see this scene in the, in the cartoon where all these boots are flying toward him and hitting this Christian Marine. And then the next page, you turn the next page, and it shows the next morning that Holy Joe, Holy Joe has shined all their boots, he's polished all their boots and put them by their bunks. You see, love is not love, that just loves people that love us. Divine love is love that loves people that don't love us. Divine love is love that causes a Republican to love a Democrat. Divine love is love that will cause a Democrat to love a Republican. Divine love is what will cause one race to love another race because divine love is superior love. And that's the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. Well, we're out of time. We've got a whole lot more to cover, but we'll get that in next week uh, for part three of Love Rules. But would you lift your hands with me right now? During this series, we're asking the Holy Spirit to fill us with love. And so wherever you are right now, just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with his love and his power. Lord, we want to thank you for the incredible infusion of your love into our hearts. You poured your love into our hearts so we can love supernaturally. So God, we pray that you'll help us to be patient with each other, and you'll help us to be kind with each other. 
We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Hey, listen, share this message with somebody. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next week for Love Rules Part 3. Have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.